0: G'day and welcome to another edition of Authorised. Podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, and it's with thanks to our very good podcast partners, that is CSCG. They're the people to talk to about your finances. Now, there's never actually a bad time to address what's going on in your financial situation or to take a bit of a uh, you know, pull the handbrake up and have a look at where you're at, where you're heading, what you want to do. Uh, if your money's doing uh, what you want it to do, they're the people to talk to, and they can help you uh, sort it all out, whether it's superannuation, whether it's life insurance, uh, whether it's mortgages. All those things that make up your financial portfolio, and we all have one, if you want it working at the very optimum for you give the people at CSCG a call because they are terrific people and they know what they're talking about, have experts in all those fields. And there is a close to you as a telephone call, 9974 833 jump on the website, cscg.com.au. Knockout is the name of the book I'm talking about this week and the author is Grantley Keyser. Grantley's a prolific Australian author, written about all sorts of subjects, but boxing is one that is very near and dear to his heart. He's in the Boxing Hall of Fame himself, has uh, done a little bit of fighting, but mostly behind-the- scenes uh, has some fascinating stories to tell and a lot of them are in this book called knockout great australian boxing stories let's let him tell you about uh, how he got into boxing and some of the great characters very colorful characters that he's met over his time congratulations it's a it's a terrific tomb i guess is the is the best word i can use and, and encapsulates a hell of a lot about australia's boxing history
1: yeah yeah well it's um it's a, it's a labour of love, really. You know, I spent so much time in the, in the fight game and it was acquired so many great stories over that
0: time. Well, it has been a lifetime association, hasn't it? When did it start for you?
1: Well, I guess uh, it started very early in the piece. You know, when I was a little boy living in Brisbane, growing up in Brisbane, uh, the, you know, the barber on the, in the suburb that w- where I lived, he had uh, a photo on his wall of Johnny Samishon. Uh, almost like a shrine, the way Catholics might have a photo of the Pope, yeah. and I was always intrigued by who this guy was on the on the wall. And, and fortunately, you know, I got to know Johnny Famisham many years later very well, and uh, and recalled those times to him. But uh, I, I suppose also when I was growing up, the, the great hero in world sport was Muhammad Ali. He, uh, as a as a as a as a boy, I was always uh, fascinated and intrigued by you know such a charismatic. Sporting hero, and the, the, the legend of Ali was increased dramatically, I guess, by the fact that he spent three years out of boxing because he refused to go to the Vietnam War, so there was a great sort of news controversy around him, and I remember when he he uh, had the great first fight with Joe Frazier, it was a real world event, unlike uh, you know, unlike uh, a lot of sports these days that get swallowed up because there's so many... Cons- Competing uh, streaming services and all sorts of other things that people can watch. That was a, a real world event. It was on closed circuit television, and people would watch it in in movie theaters around the world. Yeah. It was a huge, uh, huge event, and and I was fascinated by that. And I, I, I guess I fell in love with the excitement of the fight game. And I also remember my when I was a little boy, my my grandmother gave me a a big Reader's Digest coffee table book on Australian history. It was about the, the days of uh, of before and how people had lived through various decades in Australian history and one of the big sections in it was on, on Australian sport and one of the main stories was about the great fight in 1908 when Jack Johnson, the son of, uh, of Pets and Slaves, came out to Sydney which was then a, the world capital of boxing and fought the white Canadian named uh, Tommy Burns for the heavyweight championship of the world which yeah. in those days was the greatest prize in sport and that um, that was a huge world event and I was intrigued by all that sort of history and um, all that all that great time of uh, national enthusiasm, I guess, around sport. And uh, I became intrigued by, by boxing. And I remember George Foreman once saying that boxing was the heavyweight champions of sports because it encapsulated all the drama of of, of great sport. But it was also such a one on one battle and unlike any other kind of battle, really. It's not like tennis where you shake hands and everything's fine at the end. You, it, it, when, when you were fighting in a, in a big fight, it really was a fight for survival yeah. and one punch could, one, one punch could change or, or make a career. So I was fascinated by the, the drama of it and I did a little bit of boxing when I was young and I was training in Sydney with the, the great trainer, Johnny Lewis, just, just for fitness training really in the early 80s, and he had a young amateur named Jeff Fenwick, who was the New <laughs> South Wales flyweight champion at the time, he only had a few amateur fights. And we, of course, all became great friends, and And Johnny kind of, uh, I think he saw some qualities in me that he liked uh, to, to help him in the gym and to help him with his fighters. And fortunately, thanks to Johnny Lewis, the, the great fight trainer, I, I became his right-hand man, and I went from being, uh, you know, just a, a shy kid who knew a little bit about boxing to, within a couple of years, you know, in the middle of White Hart Lane in London, staring down Frank Bruno, you know, in a fight um, with, when when Joe Bugner fought Frank Bruno on yeah, White Hart Lane, 40,000 people. Yeah, you know, so I was transported into a whole different world of, of big-time sports, and it was a fascinating ride. And, you know, along the way, I acquired all these great... Great stories about boxing that I want to uh, put together in a book.
0: Well, you've you've been a boxing promoter. You've been a, a you know a corner man yeah. for for Johnny Lewis yeah. and, and obviously for Jeff Fennick over many years. You've been a prolific writer about boxing. Uh, so you've seen yeah. it from and, and you've as you said done a little bit of boxing yourself. So you've seen it from every angle. Is there still the romance and the nobility about boxing from your point of view?
1: Well, boxing is is always about money, and so. Yeah. It gets corrupted along the way in terms of there's a lot of hype surrounding boxing. Uh, you know, one of the things I I never really liked about boxing is some fighters are persuaded. Sometimes they do the persuading; they want to stay in it uh, just just to make money. But often they have people around them who are who see them as, as cash cows. And I've seen a lot of fighters go beyond their use by date, and the dangers and the risks are. Uh, uh, you know, magnified when you get when, when the aim of the, the sport is to hit each other in the head. I mean, it's it's a dangerous sport, and I, as I say, I was always fascinated by it. But I was also also conscious that I used to with most things. I, I used to ride there was always almost a rider with it saying: "Don't try this at home." You know, <laughs> and, and I would hate to think that someone got hurt because they were drawn to boxing by me. But I, I, as a as a as a journalist and as a writer, I don't think there's ever been a sport that you could that you could cover with as much drama and excitement as, as boxing. I guess that's why it, it, you know, it's, it's drawn such great literary figures over time like Hemingway and Norman Mailer and, and Scott Fitzgerald. They're all fascinated by boxing the same way that Hemingway, Hemingway was fascinated by bullfighting because all the emotions and all the fears and all the doubts all all get forced into one and it's, it's a one-on-one situation where the, the, the fight to win the fight is the fight for survival. It's, there's no other sport as dramatic as boxing. I mean, you can watch a great football game, but in, in a football game, you've got a big team behind you backing you up, or you can watch a tennis game, but at the end of the tennis game, someone's not counted out on the on the canvas. So, you know, that's that's why I say it was always always a fascination to me. Uh, I think I think big business in many ways has has spoilt the romance a little bit, but yeah. still, even these days, when there's a big fight on, um, you know there's very little to uh, excite in sport the way that a, a big fight. I mean, like, uh, say, when Mike when Mike Tyson was at his peak. These days, it's a little bit diluted because you have so many different champions. You have yeah, so many
0: yeah.
1: uh, different organizations. No one's really sure who the world, world champion is. I mean, even in the heavyweight division now, you've got Tyson Fury, who claims to be the champ. You've got Alexander Ustik from Ukraine, who, he, you know, he's got a couple of titles. It, it, it all gets very, very confusing uh, as... In in the days of Muhammad Ali, you really only had one heavyweight champion and everyone knew who he was.
0: Uh, in the book, you go through uh, the the uh, you know the decades and uh, and how how boxing panned out in the decades, and there's you know other stories about you know, blokes like Tommy Rudonigus and and their yeah. their dalliances <laughs> with with boxing, and yeah. uh, it it it's uh, it's a bit like horse racing, isn't it? And you and you mentioned the money before, and and that's the attraction, but it does it absolutely one hundred percent involves and uh, and attracts all walks of life. Yeah, it does.
1: It's a real melting pot, isn't it? I mean. At, at the big fights back in the sixties and seventies, and even to the eighties, you could have Kerry Packer, you know, ringside, and then you could have some some dodgy, you know, character <laughs> on the other side of the ring. You know, it was real melting fights. like a bit like greyhound racing. You know, a great um, a great American sports writer called Red Smith used to call it the boxing the red light district of sports, and it it, it is. It attracts all different sorts of characters. But I guess that's why I was uh, I was fortunate to become involved with someone like Johnny Lewis. Uh, Johnny was never in it for the money. He trained, you know, he's Australia's most successful trainer. He trained Jeff Fennec, Kostya Zou, Jeff Harding. He trained six world champs. But his great passion was was amateur boxing, and that's how he started with Jeff Fennec. He was Johnny was a sign writer by trade, and he used to train the kids at the gym after work. And just uh, because of Jeff Fennec's great success, it, it morphed into a, eventually a big business, whereas because of Johnny's success with Jeff Fennec, Kostya Zou wanted to come and train with him. He was the world amateur champ. So then Johnny was training Kostya and then Jeff Harding was training with him, and uh, he was getting all these great champions. But uh, I, I was very fortunate. I, I was with, with characters who were very upright, and, and they were in the sport for the right motive. Johnny's main motive in, in, in training kids after the gym was genuinely to keep them off the streets and to give yeah. them some diversion and to keep them out of trouble. And uh, he, he, he was very, very successful at that, and he mentored so, you know, he mentored Generations of of young people to really make something of their lives, and and they, uh, a lot of them, you know, they were given a great head start because they were taught discipline in the gym. They were taught that you had to look after yourself, you had to eat right, you had to take care of your body, and you had to uh, have a strength of mind and focus. and all those lessons were learned in the boxing gym,
0: which, from the outside, uh, the the do-gooders and uh, and those people would have said, "Why would you take a delinquent kid and put him in a boxing ring and teach <laughs> him how <laughs> to punch the hell out of someone?" But but yes, uh, when you yes. talk to Jeff Fennick and, and he was someone who was a delinquent kid, uh, he'll be the first yes. to admit that um, it saved his life. It saved him from being a you know career criminal, probably.
1: Well, that's right. It gave him a different focus, and he, it gave him an outlet for his aggression. And with like with many of the kids. at at the gym back in the 80s and 90s that I would see, a lot of them just had, you know, had excessive energy. And if they weren't diverting it into something constructive or something that could uh, improve their lives, they'd be, you know, bored looking for trouble out in the street. And that was certainly the case with with Jeff Fennec and a lot of other kids that came to the gym. You know, there's a a very good uh, rugby league player called Geordie Peek and uh, I hadn't seen Geordie for look, 25 years. He ended up as, the, as a very good player for the Canterbury Bulldogs in Sydney and uh, his son was also a star player. But he sent me a message, you know, the hadn't seen him for 25 years and he said, oh, you know, I'll never forget the lessons that you and, and Johnny Lewis taught me at the Newtown Police Boys. You know, it really was the foundation for my life. And there was lots of young guys like that who, through, who, through boxing, really were able to channel their energies and, and, and make something of themselves.
0: Is there a golden era in boxing, in your opinion, Grant? Well, there's a uh, you know, the, I, I guess every
1: generation looks upon their era as the, the gold one. You know, yeah, I, um, when I started working at the newspapers in, in Sydney in the, in the early 1980s, I'd meet lots of uh, veteran reporters who'd been there in the 50s, and they always thought that the era of Tommy Burns and Vic Patrick and uh, George Barnes, that was the golden era. Freddie yeah. Dawson coming to Australia to fight, that was the golden era. And for them it was. Then the other more recent guys would remember the 60s and 70s when we had Lionel Rose and Johnny Samishon you know, two of our greatest ever champions. So then that was a golden era and a young Tony Mundine coming up. You know, I was fortunate to be in Tony Mundine's corner once and he was just electrifying. Uh, just a, When he was on top, he was just absolutely brilliant, fast, and big, heavy punches. And then, of course, you had the, the, the 1980s with uh, Jeff Fenick and Jeff Jeff Harding. So I guess that was kind of a golden era too. And then Kostya Zhu followed that up. And then more recently we had, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to be involved with Jeff Horn. Uh, and, and and his great win over Manny Pacquiao before more than 50,000 people at Suncorp Stadium. And to me, that that was a, a golden era for me because I'd seen this kid come from being a, a relief part time school teacher, that was his occupation, you know, school teacher didn't even really like fighting, <laughs> to become, to become this, this absolute machine within a few years who was able to manhandle Manny Pacquiao, one of the greatest world champions of, of, of all time. You know, to me, that was. Uh, I've been involved with so many fights but to me there would be never, never be a better story than that. This kid that was bullied at school, didn't really like fighting, didn't even know how to throw a punch when he first went to the gym and within a few years is, has, has scored one of the greatest upsets, not just in Australian boxing, but in all of Australian sport. To go from that background to beat one of the all-time greats was to me just
0: extraordinary. Uh, I'm not even sure that uh, the people behind Jeff thought that he would win that fight because that was, that was almost the, the unwinnable fight. Well,
1: it was it was amazing. I, you know, I'd been over to the Philippines a few months earlier to watch Pacquiao training and uh, I have got to know Pacquiao reasonably well, I guess, and, uh, you know, we had dinner and, you know, I spent quite a bit of time with him. I went to his house and whatever and watched him train in the gym. But I was always confident and, and the night before the fight, I did like a, a video interview where I, I said, you know, don't be surprised if, if Jeff Horn pulls off the unwinnable fight because he is training like a, a man possessed than he was, his focus was so intense and his his strength and determination were, were palpable. Whereas I'd been over to the Philippines and Manny Pacquiao, even though he trained long hours in the gym, he just didn't seem to have the focus that that uh, that uh, Jeff, Jeff Horn did. And I remember a, a great thing that um, Glenn Rushton, Jeff's very astute trainer said, he said, you know, Manny Pacquiao, he's a great fighter, but he's in his late 30s now. He's uh, He's only got two arms, two legs. He can't beat Jeff with reputation. He can't beat Jeff with uh, with his fame. He's going to have to try and beat him with his fitness and his toughness. And he said, "I'll back Jeff Horn's fitness and toughness over Manny Pacquiao any day of the week." And that's exactly what happened. Jeff Vaughn was too tough and too fit for to Manny Pacquiao, and he pulled off this incredible upset. And it was just to me, it was the to me it was really the crowning achievement, I guess, of my career as a sports rider. So to have followed the kid's progress from when I first met him as a as a part-time school teacher and part-time boxer, to, to pulling off that huge upset, and the remarkable thing was that he was the same, uh, same humble character after beating Manny Pacquiao than he'd been the very first time that I, I met him. and uh, I went to do a story on him at the school where he was teaching, with a classroom of yeah. little kids, you know, it was just to
0: me, it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment in Australian sport. Yeah, no, absolutely, it was. Um, boxing is also dotted with a lot of very sad stories. Yeah
1: very sad stories and i've seen a lot of guys a lot of guys who unfortunately you know probably don't have the mental faculties that they had years earlier because uh because of the fight i mean it is a dangerous sport and people get hurt doing it they really do and um you know that's why i take my hat off to trainers who who tell their fighters when it's time to give it away uh you know there's been a couple of tragedies i actually saw a a a fatality in in, in boxing uh, many years ago in in Melbourne. The the kid had been uh, injured uh, in an accident some while before and in hindsight should never have been in the boxing ring. But, you know, the medical checks weren't as as, uh, stringent as they are now and he was allowed to fight and, uh, you know... He he, uh, collapsed in the ring and and died some while after. Not so much from the blows in the fight. It had been quite a tame boxing match, really, but he shouldn't have been in the ring. But there have been tragedies in the past. One of the most uh, poignant was the the story of Archie Kemp, who um, who fought a great fighter called Jack Hassan, a great indigenous fighter called Jack Hassan. And uh, the referee in that fight blundered. He let the fight go on too long. Archie Kemp should have been stopped, but uh, the, the referee let the fight continue. And Archie Kemp, who had a... A young wife and a couple of small children um, passed away a few days later. Very, very sad. And that's why, you know, I, I always say uh, the more stringent the, the medical supervision of boxing is, the, the better. You know, some of the old timers say, oh, you know, they should let them fight. But boy, you know, I, I've seen some bad injuries and I'm um, all for. You know, I reckon boxing would be, be even a better sport, sounds ridiculous to me saying it, would be an even better sport if they didn't let you hit people in the head. I really do. Yeah. You know, if so it was just body boxing. But unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah. Uh, and is, that, is that almost where the future of boxing is going to head, the, the, the safer that it becomes? and the, But, but is, it, is it still the boxing that, you know, the traditionalists love?
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, it's a it's a it's a contact sport. It's the ultimate contact sport, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I think uh, there's always a fine line, you know. And I, I would, in many ways, hate to be a boxing referee. I mean, you know, you've got so much responsibility. When do you stop a fight? If you stop a fight too early, the the oh. the, the loser castigates. You. If you stop it too late, you know, you are castigated because someone got hurt. It's a very it's not like being a referee in a football game where <laughs> you know all you all you're doing is you know. Penalising a team or, or whatever, and they lose on the scoreboards. You've got you've got guys' life in your hands in, in, in the boxing ring. But I think it's still a very very tough sport. I mean, you still watch fights, and people still get knocked around pretty badly. And the the the, the real uh, savagery of boxing, I suppose, is is what's what's the lure for so many people. Uh, you know, you can you can see a fight, and it can be a close fight, and then all of a sudden it can change with one punch. Yeah, and it still only takes one punch to knock someone cold.
0: Well, I'm told that uh, our boxing strengths uh, in this country at the moment are actually really good. We have a, a, a terrific yeah. bunch of uh, fighters around, and it is every bit as as good as the talent that's come through in, in you know in the in the Halcyon days, if you want to call them that. Yeah,
1: well, Tim zoo's really creating a lot of headlines. He's yeah. got great promotion behind him, and there is a lot of hype ar- around him. I mean, he's being talked about as a superstar. Yet, I don't think personally, I don't think he's uh, he's yet reached that level on his performances. He's beaten a couple of good fighters, but he still hasn't done the things that his dad did. His dad beat some of the all-time greats. But he's certainly got a lot of uh, publicity, and he's certainly very confident, and he hasn't put a foot wrong as far as, as his performances are concerned. Uh, and we've got some you know, really good up-and-coming fighters. We've got uh, Justice Hooney, who's a really good heavyweight. We've got Dempsey McKean, who's the world-rated heavyweight, very good heavyweight. is based over in Britain at the moment. Liam Parrow is a, a really brilliant... Uh, uh, junior welterweight, really brilliant fighter so we've got some really really hot talent in this country and we've also got some very very good female fighters too yeah. I mean uh, I'm not I, I can't honestly say that I'm a great fan of female boxing you know I still you know I'm very much an old school traditional, so I really don't like seeing women punching on with each other but we have got some really talented talented female boxers uh, one called Ebony Bridges who's based over in the UK I mean she's uh, she's savage she, she's a uh, She's a really brilliant boxer, really brilliant.
0: And I, I'm in exactly the same camp as you. I'm still not accustomed to seeing two women stand in a ring and and, and fight, and it, it's still it's still an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, and I'm yeah. sure I'm sure as time goes on, we'll we'll become more used to it and, and become more accustomed to it. But initially, it is it is just a really jarring experience. Well, it's funny in my book, I mentioned
1: that the very first. Uh, Record of, of women boxing in uh, in Australia. Two two women, very early colonial um, Sydney, the early very early 1800s, and the, the writer of the story was quite. Um, you could see he was shuddering sh- as he as he wrote <laughs> it, but he wrote it in that very beautiful old-fashioned English language about uh, the, the Irish girl putting the Murphy squeezes and, and getting hit in the peepers and the snuff box, meaning the nose and all that <laughs> sort of stuff, you know. So so women have been fighting in this country for a long long time, and uh, and sports writers have been covering it.
0: Now I know Jeff Fenwick would be your favourite because you spent a lot of time in the corner with him, and yeah. you went you went through the highs and lows of of his uh, professional yeah. career, as well as obviously you know that horrible thing that happened to him in Thailand where he bloody near died. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and thank, thankfully, the the boys around him uh, saved him. He, he told us about that in a, another podcast I do. Who who outside of Jeff is is the fighter that was there? A fighter when you were growing up and coming through that captured your imagination, or is there one that that you've just loved watching?
1: Probably my, my, my favourite all time would have to be Lionel Rose. I'd play both as a story and as, as a boxer. I got yeah. to know Lionel pretty well, and I, I got to know his trainer Jack Rennie very well. You know, I, I admired both of them. But I think the story of Lionel Rose is just such a magnificent sporting fable. You know, at, at the age of 14 or 15, he was sleeping in a dirt floor humpy in a, a very isolated Aboriginal community called Jackson's Track in, in Gippsland in Victoria. You know, he's regularly eating possum and wallaby. Within a few years, he, he makes his very first trip outside of Australia. He goes to Tokyo, and it's only 20 years after the end of World War II, or just a bit more than 20 years after World War II. So, uh, you, you know, the whole of Australia, which, who, who have experienced the horrors of World War II, are, are wishing him well. And he's, a, he's an Aboriginal kid facing one of the greatest fighters of that era, which I call Fighting Harada. Yep. Lionel's given absolutely no chance. He only got the fight because he, he came very cheap. He was willing to take the fight for virtually no money for the opportunity. And he, he gives the performance of, a, of, a, of a, a generation. He outboxes Fighting Harada over 15 rounds, wins the World Bantamweight title. You know, it's just extraordinary. He's still only 19 years of age. He comes back to Australia, and it's only one year after the the census, uh, the, the, the referendum to. Um, include Aboriginal people in the census as part of the Australian population. So it's it's a time when uh, Australia isn't really used to giving Aboriginal people accolades. He comes back to this country, but the crowd to welcome him home, this, this young Aboriginal boy of only 19, uh, it's, it's like a quarter of a million people lining the streets of Melbourne to cheer him. And to me, that's done, that did more for reconciliation in this country than any sort of political rhetoric. You know, it was... Uh, it was Australia embracing this Indigenous hero, this young Indigenous hero, and uh, you know I think it's, it's extraordinary. Lionel's only 19, and uh, and yet the savvy of the guy, a reporter, you know, is obviously trying to maybe create some sort of controversy. He says he says to Lionel, uh, you know, this must be a real blow for your, uh, a, a, a victory blow for your people, the hardships you've you've put up with in your lifetime, because Lionel grew up. In, in abject poverty, and Lionel, to his credit, as I say, he's only a boy of 19, he says, look, I don't go in for this black and white thing. He said, to me, all of us are are Australians. Everyone here today, black or white, is cheering me on, and we're all Australians, we're all in this together. And to me, that was just a great great comment from a a, a great Australian. You know, we're all in this together. We should be one country and support each other. And I, I just think that was a... A pivotal, a seminal moment in Australian history—not just in sporting history, but in Australian history—where, as a nation, we turned and celebrated the achievements of an Indigenous person and and made him Australian of the Year. I, I just thought that was extraordinary, and and I got to know Lionel later in life. He was a real scallywag. He, I, I can't say he was a saint. He was a real scallywag. He, he used to—he <laughs> he put the snip on me for a hundred bucks one time. I wouldn't let me, <laughs> I wouldn't let me go. But, you know, that was just the roguish charm of the guy. You know, just a a lovely, wonderful man. And I I think that, um, you know, it's been a few years since he passed away, Lionel, but I think he's one of the great Australian heroes of all time
0: couldn't agree more knockout is the name of the book great australian boxing stories like the one you just heard there they're uh, jam-packed in this book it's full of uh, great stories about uh, uh, some amazing uh, feats uh, sporting wise and uh, and uh, humanity was good on you grandly well done mate congratulations on the book and, uh, and i should also congratulate you on being in the boxing hall of fame yourself but uh, no terrific uh, terrific uh, book and uh, well worth uh, grabbing and having a read of even if you're not a boxing fan have a read of they're, they're just great stories
1: Good on you, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me on, mate. I really appreciate it.
0: Yes, they're great Australian stories of great Australians uh, with a boxing background uh, for a lot of them, uh, but stories like that one that he just told about Lionel Rose, uh, that's what you get when you pick up this book, Knockout, Great Australian Boxing Stories. Well done to Grant on putting it together. Very prolific author that we'll be hearing a lot more of in the future. Thanks to my podcast partners, CSCG. Uh, Don't forget, give them a call. Get your finances sorted. Make sure that uh, you're setting yourself up for a bright and prosperous future. Double nine seven four. 8333 is their telephone number. CSCG.com.au is the website to go and jump on. Plenty more of very fascinating authors that I've spoken to in the time of the Authorised Podcast series, and you'll find them where you found this particular episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Read a book you never know what world it will open up for you.